0: Hi, I'm Reagan, and thanks for listening to my dad's podcast, Lasting Learning.
1: This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. You can find out more at teachbetter.com podcasts. Now let's get back to the episode.
0: All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Lasting Learning Podcast. Today, I'm sitting down having a conversation with a woman who is freezing up in (laughs) Chicago. From here in Florida, it is absolutely crazy to me to think that people are still freezing. We're recording this in spring, and spring breakers are all over the place here outside of my house, but not my guest today. My guest today is all bundled up with a scarf on, shivering at home. But uh, I'm excited to hear her warm thoughts, her warm wisdom, as she joins us today to talk about leadership, how to be an amazing leader, and how to create that culture of excellence in your workplace and in your school. Today, we've got Beth Navelton here to, to lead the way. Beth, thank you so much for being here today.
1: Oh, I'm so glad to be here, although in person will be even better because I could get some of that Florida warmth, but you know, it's how it, it, how it goes in Chicago sometimes.
0: Well, Just know if we want to leave people hanging and do a part two some other time, you're more than welcome <laughs> to come on down and we can record something face to face. A little song.
1: sunshine. Yes. Never hurt anyone. Some vitamin D. <laughs>
0: there you go. Well, Beth, do you mind just really quickly unpack who you are for people? I know that's a loaded question. Really quickly unpack everything about who you are, but do you mind just introduce yourself to the people that might not know you?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I'm Beth Napleton. I am a leadership coach and consultant. I've been in education for somehow over 25 years, and I started my career with 10 years in the classroom as a national award-winning teacher. Um, And then after that, I realized that I had been in three different schools and seen three different, very different styles of leadership. And I learned a lot from one, and I learned a lot about what not to do from two of my leaders. And so I thought, if I'm going to stay in education for the long haul, I want to learn more about managing and leading adults because I saw it as such a gap in my own experience. And so I worked for a large nonprofit organization training 650 teachers a summer um, for a couple of years to develop my leadership muscles and then miss school. So I recently went back. I went back after that most recently to start and found a small charter school network on the far south side of Chicago. So I started a middle school and a high school. And then when our first group of students graduated with 100% college acceptance for Almost all first generation students in 2021. I became a leadership coach and consultant because after having spent 10 years in the trenches, founding a school, being a principal, being the executive director slash superintendent, um, I realized how much leaders need help, and I had some good perspective to offer. So I really enjoyed doing that for the last two ish years.
0: Awesome, awesome. Can't can't wait to to take a little trip down memory lane with you and explore some of those experiences. <laughs> I'm going I'm to start with something that you just said because I've, I've heard this from a lot of leaders who say they became a leader in spite of other leaders or because mm. they didn't want to be the person that was leading them they wanted to try to show a different way mm-hmm. it's been said before that the best leaders create leaders mm. so i'm I'm curious about this paradigm if the best leaders create leaders is it possible that sometimes the best leaders are actually the worst people
1: uh interesting no I, well i think about it. i had three different principles right i had ada april and caleb And I learned so much from Caleb. He is a dear friend to this day. I use practices. I think about it. And so I think he is a good leader who created, right, another leader. I think after serving as a dean of instruction, I thought, you know what? I am ready to um, take on the mantle of leadership and all that entails and and go out and think about starting a school. And from the other two who were lovely people, I learned a lot about what not to do. And so I Mm. think what I saw was so many, and I'm sure you've had some similar experiences where I saw really great people in the profession who were leaving because they were frustrated that it wasn't flexible enough for their needs. They weren't being met with empathy when going through a hard time. They felt like once they got to a certain level, nobody worried about them. They worried about the people in the, the classroom down the hall that was on fire, but who's pushing my growth and development? And I just looked around and thought, like, wait a second, like we are losing great people like as a whole in education. And I think that some of this could certainly be stemmed um, by better leadership and management. So I think a little bit of what not to do motivated me to get there, but I really did learn a lot from Caleb. So I think there's something to be said for that.
0: So th- this is going to be fun because I was in a, in a great conversation this morning with a group of leaders. And we were talking about retention, uh, especially mm-hmm. in school, the retention of staff and mm-hmm. how to maintain high quality people in the trenches, doing the work that matters mm-hmm. most. And I feel like right now there's this belief from some that teachers are engaged in this mass exodus right now, that people are just leaving in mass, which mm-hmm. I, th- I think there there's always truth to perspectives, right? Somewhat one person's perspective is their reality. But the statistics show us that right now, post-pandemic, fourteen percent of teachers are leaving each year. Mm-hmm. The last two mm-hmm. years, fourteen percent of teachers have left. Pre-pandemic, for the decade pre-pandemic, the average was eleven percent. Mm. So we've we've historically always had eleven to fifteen percent of teachers leaving every single year in the mm-hmm. in the private sector of uh, employment. The average in America is 9% annual turnover. Mm-hmm. So education's not too far out from there. Do you do you think that it truly is an issue where we have good people leaving the profession because of bad leaders? Or is it just something that we're talking about a lot more now?
1: Well, I think that's interesting. You know, my sense is that um, it potentially is a couple of things. One, I think that, you know, there's an, an element of during COVID, right? Like, what are my values? What do I think? Am I going to stay? People being louder about what they were mm. and weren't willing to accept. So I think there's like some of those trends and some of those pieces. Um, and, you know, and the reality is, I work with leaders all the time on my consultant projects or you know through coaching, and people are like, I'm worried about retention. And what I always say is like, look, I am really worried if I see two numbers for retention. One is zero percent, and the other is a hundred percent. Like neither is good. Some level of retention, some level of turnover is healthy. It's either healthy because people are retiring, they're moving, they're getting married, they're going to graduate school. Like there's going to be some movement. You don't want the stasis that can come if your staff always stays the same. And I think that because education is such a personal profession, that even if one teacher in my child's school leaves, but it is like the beloved art teacher mm-hmm. who is like been there, it just hits deeper and harder than their, you know, number as a percentage would suggest. So I think a couple of things are going on with retention. And certainly it's, it's personal, right? And we kind of can take it hard. And I think that, you know, we sometimes... Th- Think like oh it would be so great if everyone stayed, and I actually don't think it would be so great if everyone stayed. <laughs> that would lead to a different set of problems. Um, but it's it's how do you get enough of the people staying right to kind of provide consistency for kids, consistency for families, consistency in educational programs. So
0: right, and an you education- didn't say these words, so I apologize if I'm putting these words in your mouth. But what I'm hearing and what I'm thinking is we need the right people to stay. So I, mm-hmm. again, I don't I don't know that you said that specifically. So if, you, if people are mad about yeah, you saying no, that, no, there, me saying that-
1: Yeah, no, no, 100%. I mean, and look, like that can be loaded, right? What are the right people? But like, I always felt like when I was a building leader, it was about people with the right orientation towards growing, right? Mm-hmm. They welcomed feedback, they wanted to get better, they improved. And, you know, sometimes people- would, you know, you'd have like a first-year teacher who was struggling with management. And I was like, I I take them all day long because they're hungry, they're after school, they're working on this, as opposed to the person who has great management, but, you know, felt like they had it all figured out <laughs> and didn't want to take any influence. So, so I think you do want, um, you know, folks who are really making an impact for kids. Sometimes, you know, we've all worked with people who've stayed too long at the party, right? They're burned out, they're frazzled. It's not good for kids. And this, and because it is such a personal profession, right? It has more detrimental impacts than if you were in a cubicle somewhere, a little bit burned out and grumbly, right? right. I mean, you're working with kids, you make a comment, you snap to them. Like, children remember that 20 years later. <laughs> like, right. you can do some damage. So we have to be really careful about it as a result of the responsibility that we have.
0: No, that's good. You know, you using that that metaphor, that analogy of, people that have stayed at the party too long, oftentimes the, the last person to leave the party should have been cut off two, two hours ago, right? Yeah, but they stick yeah, around right. because they think that they're the life of the party. So let, let's talk about this then, the, the right people. So mm-hmm. how do we determine the right people? How do we get the right people? I know in your work, you spend a lot of time trying to create or help leaders establish that collective vision, that vision that everybody can buy into or that the majority can buy into and create that collaborative culture but that's also this interesting balance, right? Where sometimes leaders go out and they seek those people that simply say yes to everything, those people that buy into everything that the leader has in mind. They might go out and they might, the leader might go find those teachers or those staff members that simply support everything that they want. And on the other end, there are those leaders that buck the trends and they they consider themselves a renegade or a, a groundbreaker or a trailblazer. And the staff has no idea what's coming next. So mm-hmm, how do you find mm-hmm. that sweet spot? How do you collect create that that collective vision where everybody seems to be going in the right direction?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think that's it's a great question and, you know, illustrates the complexity of the endeavor. As Sometimes as you'll feel like, okay, I get a vision and get everyone on board with it. Like check. Like that's not an afternoon's worth of work, right? <laughs> like it's hard, it's complicated, they're humans, they have opinions, there's, you know, the basement flooded, the bathroom's broken, right? Like all of those pieces. So I think that, you know, when I work with clients and so often when I work with clients, one of the things I do, I do some coaching, which is kind of one-on-one, but then I also do some consulting, which I always think about the difference that is uh, when it's a coaching conversation, the leader leaves with all the to-dos. When it's a consulting conversation, I leave with all the to-dos. And then I find the sweet spot to be in the middle with like coach salting where I leave with Mm -hmm. some to-dos and they live with some to-dos. And so we might work on revamping performance management system. We might work on improving team culture. But part of the initial phrase of any uh phase of any of the work that I do is kind of doing a current state analysis, where are we at and what's happening? And what I often find, so like let's dial back to the root of the issue. And <laughs> what I often find the issue is when people are struggling with this is the leader is not clear on mm-hmm. what they want or what they think. And sometimes it's because they're really busy, sometimes they're in firefighter mode, sometimes um maybe they had read a book or done a workshop or like their thinking was evolving on a certain piece, but they hadn't had time to really see it through because they had to sign off on payroll and go to the job fair and do these pieces. And so often with leaders, we'll start our work in just having time on the calendar on a regular basis to talk about like, what is your vision for your role in instruction and culture and operations? And it's very difficult to be shoulder deep in all three of those. And so let's think about your strengths. Let's think about what you bring to it. Let's think about what lights you up. Let's think about the rest of your team and district priorities and really get clear on where do you see your role so I'm working with a principal, Jeremy, who's in Durham at a medium-sized charter school there, and he realized like, I have been sucked into operations for, for three years, and I have a great operations person, and I trust her completely, and there are two things I think are really important, and I can tell those two things that are important, and then she will run with it, and that actually frees me up to roll up my sleeves and get more involved in, with instruction, which is really where I want to be. And so I think that a lot of times with that vision, the first step for leaders is, hey, what do I actually think? And it's not as easy as, you know, I'll ask leaders that and I will be met with like kind of a a blank stare, right? You know, it's like, I I haven't had time to think, what do I do? And so then once we get clarity on what they think and where they believe, then we can start to say, well, what needs to be true from your team? Where is it now? What kind of steps do we need to take to get to that vision? And, you know, I always say, you know, Jeremy just rolled out this management memo that we worked on together a couple of weeks ago to his staff and you know as we kind of role played various reactions to it you know what if someone said well this is not what i signed up for and i say you know what i always say like we are so grateful for everything you contributed to date but i wanted to share this with you because this is the direction we're heading in and right. and you know this this might have been the right fit for you when you came on board it might not be anymore and no hard feelings and i'm not pushing you out the door but we need to be aligned on this if we're going to be moving the same direction it's going to be better for you better for me better for our students so I think it's it's that's always it's almost always the first step
0: I I love that clarity is is so key and having that clear definition I I I, you and I we spend a lot of time in the same lane doing a lot of the same work so I always love hearing the perspectives of other people I see a lot of leaders who struggle with that articulation of where are we going to be in the Mm -hmm. future they they Mm -hmm. they're sometimes articulate on what they want for themselves, where they see mm-hmm. their career going, but where we as a system, an organization, a school are going to go, it's so much more difficult to articulate, which mm-hmm. is why sometimes politicians get involved and they say, okay, we'll just shrink it down to the most simplistic denominator gotcha. of student achievement and tracking those gains, which it's a measurement, but it's probably not the the measurement mm-hmm. that most of us okay. value. And as leaders, we, we wrestle with this. When mm-hmm. I was going through my doctorate, Um, my cognate or my, my major, if you will, for my doctorate was in human resources. And we took a class, um, that focused on coming up with realistic job previews. And it talked about the the idea that if you want to successfully hire people, you have to give them a realistic preview of what the Mm. job is. Mm -hmm. When I came to Florida for the first time, I worked in a turnaround environment, Mm. but I knew that I had 40% turnover at my school. So I went out and recruited people all over the place and sold them a false bill of goods. And mm. just advertised, come teach on the beach. Come be by the, the home of the Blue Angels. <laughs> it's wonderful down here, which that part was true. What I didn't tell them was how hard the job was and the hours they were going to mm. have to put into it. And there would be people that would show up ready to get a tan and three months in would say, wow, this is not what I thought I was wow. going to be doing. Yeah. And then the following year, I was having to recycle and find somebody new again. And I think that big example is truly something that happens in a lot of schools all the time. Maybe not teach at the beach, but come teach here. Come, yeah. come do this work. And they quickly realize that their visions don't align with the visions that are already established or the vision of a leader who never articulated it, but expressed it through their actions constantly.
1: Right, so, right. Or how do you say, right? Like, here's where I want us to go. Here's where I see our school in five years. But let me be very clear on where we are now, right? right. Be very clear on what you're walking into because the more that the expectations of somebody coming on board are aligned with, with what is reality, the more smooth the entry will be. But I think that that is... There is so much like, let me tell you a tale, like, you know, let me charm. Oh, we don't have those issues here. We have like, look, you have children in your building and they are developing and growing and they are going to make mistakes and they are going to have bad days and you're going to have bad days. And, you know, I want us to develop into a place where we're all getting through this together and we really embody growth mindset, but we're at the beginning of that journey. And so here's what that looks like now. And so I think that is, I love that idea of realistic job previews because, I think sometimes leaders are like afraid to do that. It's like a little bit when you're dating and like, you're like, oh gosh, but like I can't let them see me without my makeup on or I can't do this. And it's like, look, if you're going to take this relationship to like a lifetime level, like you're not going to have your makeup on the whole time. Like if somebody is going to come move to teach at the beach, they are going to see it when after school is a hot mess or whatever the case might be. So
0: yeah, I think, you know, I share those statistics really on about teacher uh, Mm -hmm. turnover and 14% right now. The, the reality is leadership in school turnover right now is at 28%, which there mm-hmm. is a dramatic increase in that over post, uh, pre-pandemic mm-hmm. years. And I think that that same expectation now goes for leaders. There are a lot of leaders that simply step in and they say, I'll take a job regardless of the job. We have to recognize that that job is open for a reason. Somebody yeah. else left that job. So you're walking in to, to clean up something or to mm-hmm. align something. And it's it's mm-hmm. it's super important that you ask those those same critical questions.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm absolutely and like what's right for me right now right i think there is there like go. i would imagine like i've I worked turnaround there was a time in my life where that was the right fit this is not the time in my life that is the right fit i'm yeah. a single mom of three kids i couldn't work turnaround you know what i mean that what it requires the flexibility and so how do you say i talk a lot with my clients like what season of life are you in and mm. it doesn't have to be long it could even be you know hey i've got a new puppy so for six months i've got to be you know until she's really potty trained i got to be there but it is like when we when we just acknowledge like what season I'm in and what I need based on all the variables that come into play, it can help us find the right fit for us in this moment, which might be by title, but it also might be by proximity to your house. It might be by disposition of the school yeah. community. It might be, you know, whatever. There's lots of options.
0: So, you know, you bring up a, a lot of things that I think are important for us to recognize that as leaders, oftentimes we're working with adults and mm-hmm. adults, we tend to think, are different than kids they're they're more mature they're more seasoned they're better decision makers but the reality is adults are still learning and growing as well and mm-hmm. adults have their own needs their own seasons their own evolutions mm-hmm. if you will talk to me a little bit about how you coach leaders to understand that component of the variable that adults aren't widgets and aren't pawns in a game either
1: Mm hmm. mm -hmm. It's so interesting because I was just uh, talking with a client this morning about this because they were saying that in their building, everybody is pretty good about having a growth mindset about kids and kids are learning, but they don't bring that same growth mindset to their own selves or Mm -hmm. to each other and how it is. The school is kind of just like locked in this place where it can't progress because people are afraid to make mistakes. They're blaming themselves or others um, as opposed to like, you know, whereas like, you know, most classrooms, hopefully if you walk into it, mistakes are an opportunity to learn. This is how we discover new ways of doing things. But we don't always think about that ourselves with adults. And so one, I have worked on several projects at different schools where literally the objective of the project is help make growth mindset live in my school. And, and where the starting point is might depend yep. on right like where the community is but that is one um that is one that is very much sorry about that um that is one that is so important because once you have this growth mindset effort pays off here's what we can do it is really amazing what can happen right people open up they're more vulnerable they admit what they don't know they say can you come in and observe my classroom can we do this and so i think that is such a huge place to start and You know, (laughs) many leaders I know get really frustrated um, because, you know, they like, whatever, kids are late to school, they're late to school, we're going to have these tardy policies we're going to do this stuff. And then adults are late to school and you're like, you should know better, (laughs) right? Or, you know, like kids don't turn in their homework. Okay, yeah, I'm used to it, but adults don't turn their lesson plans. It's like, you should know better. And I always tell leaders, the sooner you can eliminate that phrase from your vocabulary, right, and think about how to, you know, in my classroom, I had it on my board when homework was due. We had a reminder on the way out. There was an announcement in the bulletin. I had a lot of reminders to set my students up for success. It's the same thing with adults and lesson plans. And you may not like it, but they're going to turn it in more and then you'll be happier. So you don't you don't have to like it, but acknowledging it will help, you know, dissolve some of the frustration that you may feel.
0: And it's hard. It's hard to to balance accountability with growth. Right. Yes. I think yeah. we, we often, to your point, feel like they should know better. So my job is just to ding them and hold them accountable uh-huh. because when you graduate as a teacher, you have a credential, a certification that says you can now do the job. But we also recognize that in all 50 states, district and, and virtually every single district, teachers are rewarded by longevity. The longer mm. they stick around, we tend to say you'll be compensated more because we understand that you will become better as you have more experience and as you learn more. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. how do we find that balance as leaders is it simply just empathetic and sympathy and saying I understand you don't have it all figured out right now and I'm going to stand beside you as you make mistakes or do we balance that with accountability and we have to recognize every time somebody makes mistakes that they'll stop making those mistakes like what what do we do in a practical sense
1: yeah I think that's a great question and I think the analogy that comes to mind is um a little bit like uh, a sandbox filled with dirt, which hopefully that brings a visual to your head, even though it makes <laughs> sense. I don't know what that would, maybe like a raised bed. I'm not like a gardener. Okay. So right. a
0: garden with no vegetables yet, got it. <laughs> okay.
1: Right, but but so when I think about it, it's like in some ways, accountability to, in a lot of ways, I think, is about communicating boundaries, right? And so it's like, here's the boundaries of the raised bed. Here's the boundaries here. Here's what you can't do. Let me be very clear. And like, you know, it's, you touch the electric fence, you're going to get shocked, right? Like here are the boundaries and I and that is part of my job as the leader, right? We we, I'm sure, have both seen leaders who don't hold folks accountable, and that leads to it's all kinds of problems, right? Mm-hmm. But then there are people who are only focused on accountability, and that leads to different kinds of problems. So the balance I think is in, okay, let's have accountability with clear kind of lines and boundaries around it. And then inside that, I have some soil and I'm trying to make it as rich and as fertile and as nutritious as possible so that plants can thrive or so that students can thrive in this case. And so I think that. When I think about where energy is spent as a leader, and it depends a little bit on what time of year it is and how you're communicating expectations and all those pieces. But I think about really the bulk of your energy is how do I get how do I get my students to grow? How do I get my adults to grow? What can I do to you know make sure we have rich PD opportunities to make sure that we're celebrating and affirming what people are doing right? We're spotlighting exemplars of excellence in the building, right, or across the district or the network or whatever the case might be. So let's do that. And you know, yes, I am going to be clear that you know. You have to be to school on time, or you know, you have to be you know on time to your duty post, or whatever the things are that are the boundaries. And I will enforce those. But also, the major once I've communicated those and continuously communicated them because people need to hear it more than once and in multiple ways, I can really focus on I'm here to help. I'm your partner, and it can be hard because I think sometimes teachers and staff are suspicious, right? Mm-hmm. Well, are you wanted to see me? Why are you evaluating? Let me like put on the dog and pony show. And it's like, how do you really help? And I work on this with a lot with clients, right? Like how do you build trust? How do you show them you're really their partner? How do you show them there to help? Which by the way, might mean biting your tongue sometimes when you would like to say something. But if you're really trying to show them that I am here to help you grow, right, they have to know that, you know, you're gonna see me make mistakes and that's gonna be okay. We're gonna learn from it as we go too. So
0: oh so good. I think it's I'll use some educational jargon. So if you're not an educator listening to this, I apologize but it, it's using assessments formatively and summatively, right? Yes, we, we tell exactly. teachers to do the same thing in their classrooms, not to create a different category on the assessment, but anytime you assess learning to, to use it to process, what what did you do right? What did you do wrong? What can you do to improve? As parents, I know I do that with my kids. When my kids are making mistakes, I look at myself and say, oh my gosh, what am I doing as a parent? Mm-hmm. What, what did I do wrong to send them down that path? But I think sometimes as leaders, we skip that step and we just use everything summatively as a judgment. This, and we say it's their fault, as opposed to looking at ourselves and saying, but what am I doing wrong? Where I am not leading them, guiding them, supporting them enough, so that they understand what's right and what's wrong? What can I be doing differently?" So when you're a leader, when if you're an administrator, an evaluator, using that to to get rid of the the dinging, like you said, the the gotchas, and saying, "What use this as a reflective lens for yourself? What mm-hmm, are you doing mm-hmm. right or wrong?" Because you want to see amazing things. If you're not seeing everything amazing, what do you need to be doing differently to get it to that point?
1: Absolutely. Well, it's interesting. One of my favorite sayings I learned from a principal I had many years ago, um, and you know, she used to. Uh, she was a co-principal. I learned from. She's also a great leader. I didn't mention her, but I did learn from her. And she would say, "Point with a thumb, not the finger." So if you're listening mm-hmm. at home, you you know, put a thumbs up and point to your chest. Right? Point with a thumb. Don't point with your pointer finger out at someone. She used to say, "When you point at someone, three fingers come back to you." And I think that that is what you're talking about as a leader is how do you point with a thumb? What did I do in the situation? If my staff is continuously late and I bring up lateness because it was the people that I have and it would set the whole day on the wrong note. If my staff is late, what am I doing? You know, t- saying it once at the beginning of the year is not it. How do I hang up a clock over the entrance and write digital letters? How do I remind people every day? Like, hey, remember, 7.29 is on time, right? Don't, you know, if you walk in the door at 7.30, that's not gonna help set you up to, you know, be at the huddle on time or do this. How am I very explicit with what I expect and say it over and over again? How do I point with a thumb and say, what role do I take in this? I can only control myself. So how do I make sure that I am doing everything I can to help with the situation? What do you what should you do if you are running late? What should you do if you get a flat tire? What if you catch a train? Here are all the things you can do so that we can make the building run on time. And so I think that when leaders point with a thumb and also narrate that to their team, say that to their team, say, you know what? I know that the meeting started late today, and I apologize. I didn't remind you all this morning how that we were starting at four o'clock sharp. It shows people ownership. They respect that. And then, but you still say, and next time, let's make sure that we're on time no matter what, right? And right. so. I think that point with a thumb is one that has steered me right in many situations, even when it's been difficult.
0: I, I love it. You know, something that you said, I'll, I'll be a little bit more crass using some of your words. <laughs> it's possible to be an effective leader without being an asshole, right? Yes. I think, I think at times um, that is a struggle. When we think back on the, the ineffective leaders we had, there's pro- that, that word probably comes to mind at mm-hmm, times mm-hmm. where there was a, a, a little bit less sympathy, empathy, support than we would have liked, more barking and less doing. So I know in, in your work, you spend a lot of time shoulder, shoulder, standing next to somebody, helping them truly create that plan of action because mm-hmm. you're there coaching and consulting because things aren't going perfectly. If everything's going perfectly, they don't need to reach out to you, right?
1: It's probably not a school if everything's going perfectly. <laughs> there you go. that That's true too.
0: that <laughs> Somebody realistic. doesn't have a realistic There's preview of what's really there. happening. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So how do you find that balance? Cause sometimes when I work with people, I offer advice, I offer encouragement. And then as soon as I leave, they go back to their old habits and their old mm-hmm. ways of doing things because that's their natural tendencies. How do you encourage people to stay true to the actions and the plans that they've put in place? Is it just finding that balance be- between coaching and consulting, knowing that you'll give advice, but you'll also stand beside them, they have to do the work, but you're there to guide them? What What does it actually look like to work with Beth?
1: Yeah, so I think it it depends a little bit on the project, which is honestly one of the things I like, because it's always a little bit different based on where people are at and kind of their own um, what brought them to me, how you know severe the crisis is, what they're thinking about. But I think that it is, you know, what I like is the blend of like, look, there's some stuff out there that just works, right? Here's a tool you can use for a team division of labor. Here's a agenda that is gonna make sure you get notes if anyone misses it your setup i mean it sounds so tactical and grounded but it's like man if you don't have an easy way to track the goals like it is hard to do anything right in your school and so let's like just take some tools that i've developed that you're able to use and plug and play and talk about how to use them. And then, you know, I think sometimes um consultants generally, this is why I don't call myself a consultant purely, can be guilty of over planning. Like we, mm-hmm. you know, you get a really nice deck and a super great plan with like a hundred different points, and then like, you know, the first thing on the plan goes wrong, and they're like, you don't hit your own goal or whatever, and like all of a sudden the plan is busted. And so I kind of make sure that we're planning sufficiently but we're not over planning. And then we're really about, okay, so now let's talk about goals. Somebody thinks that they shouldn't own this. Somebody thinks that teachers are being asked to do too much work. Somebody thinks that, um, you know, you have unreasonable expectations or whatever the case might be. Um, And we'll role play, right? Let me like, let's say this, let's do this. Let's think about what to do. Cause I find that, you know, one of the, um, one of the things that uh, I have been interested in is like the role of you know, how we, how our emotions come into play in our leadership and how our feelings and our psyche. And like, it's like one of my like hobbies to learn about this stuff. And I heard something recently that really resonated it was like from a parenting group that was about, you know, it's hard to have unpleasant emotions. It's hard to feel angry, it's hard to be sad, but you know what makes those worse? Surprise. <laughs> so if you're adding surprise to that, if you're surprised nobody did the work, it's a whole different level of reaction than if you've anticipated and thought about what you might do. And so I think sometimes a lot of this work is just talking through role playing. What about this? What about that? How do you think that? And then, okay, now we're talking in two weeks. How'd it go? What happened, right? And so that to me has been a really helpful part of this. And then what's great is that like, look, in that situation, maybe everything went swimmingly, but something comes up a few weeks later where somebody didn't do what they were supposed to do. And because you've thought about it in an analogous way, You've started to build a muscle about how do I react? What's the balance between being, I don't want to be an asshole, right? But I also want to be a wimp. And so it's this interesting balance between I can't let you walk all over me and I can't just walk all over you. How do we kind of dance together to make sure that you know kids are being served in the way that they deserve?
0: That was some of the most profound stuff I've heard in a long time. Oh. The, just the notion of eliminating surprise. Mm. I, I mean, I think that that, that sums up what leadership is all about. Your job as a leader is to eliminate surprise from, mm-hmm. from everybody. With that vision casting, don't let people be surprised as to where you're going. With measuring benchmarks and tracking success, don't let people be surprised. People shouldn't be surprised when you show up and say, hey, I'm here to support you and guide you today. Your job as a leader is to eliminate surprise. I, I love that. It's so succinct, succinct, but yet it takes you into so many different compartments and components of of effective leadership rich
1: right i mean it is and even just you know look you're going to get a data set back on day to day spoiler alert you're not going to be happy with all the data because you never are right like you as the leader you as the teacher right even the best set of data can feel like oh what's going on so how do i give myself time to feel my feelings (laughs) how do i give myself time to process it and then how do i move towards action from there so as long as i know that i'm i'm never going to be 100 percent happy with every data set then it allows me to see what is pretty good about the situation or what was really working or say you know what i learned a lot about what didn't work this assessment period and so i'm actually going to change things moving forward because you know i need to be able to move the kids more as we go through this so i you know you never you know the fire alarm always goes off accidentally you know i don't know a leader that has totally worked through this but it is part of what i work with leaders on in this what do you believe what's the vision and then like just keep it simple it doesn't have to be you know when you talk about your vision for the team people do these elaborate things you know, I mean, think you mentioned achievement. There's usually at least one academic goal. There's usually a goal about like your emotional state regulation, character, being a good person, et cetera. And like, maybe there is a thought about the community or about being curious or about STEM, if you're a STEM school or, you know, multilingual education, but it's like, it's really pretty simple. And, and the simpler it is, it's easier to point people to, it's easy to go back to. And it can be simple and yet also really deep, right? There's like lots of ways to think about students thriving, right? There gives us like lots of stuff to work on to, but at the end of the day, like, are we going to do, start this new club? Are we going to add this new course? Like, is it going to help students thrive, right? That's our guiding light to say, green light, go ahead, or red light, stop and do something else. So
0: I, I feel like we, we've we painted a lot of examples today, not necessarily on one end of the extreme or the other, that there's always this sweet harmony that you got to try to find this balance in the middle. Let me ask you a question that's been asked thousands of times to thousands of people. And it's in vogue nowadays to say something to the effect of everybody is a leader. And the question that's been asked is, are leaders born? Are they made? Um, are Can you be a leader without the title? We work with people that's our designated leaders and we understand that everybody can become a better leader that we work with do you believe that everybody is a leader hmm
1: well i'll tell you a funny story i'll tell you one of my favorite pds i do um and it always resonates and it is another analogy and i think uh that kind of like helps me get there so i am a huge bruce springsteen fan love bruce springsteen these two fan. i saw him live for the first time in 2007 and really, I had been a casual fan for a while, but what really meant? Have you ever seen a show?
0: i I've never seen a show, but the idea that the boss is somebody that you uh, <laughs> look up to, I think that 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 there's a little irony there, but I love it. yes,
1: I, I have a I have a book in me waiting to come out about how everything you need to know about leadership you can learn from Bruce Springsteen. I mean, we could that is that's a, Forget a podcast. That's a whole separate series. But yeah, yeah, the boss know,
0: is the boss for sure. I love but it.
1: Really? But you know, so I'm sitting there. It's 2007. I had been working at the school that um, had been very promising on paper, but in reality was not a good match because the issue described, like I was painted a picture that wasn't real um, or certainly didn't match my perception. And I'm watching this band of maybe like 10 musicians and they are just making amazing music together in there. You can see them calling audibles on the stage, switching guitars out. I mean, Bruce was in his, he must have been in his 50s at the time. He's 73 now. He like one song one stop. He'd switch the guitar, he'd do the next one. People would hold up signs from the audience. They do it. And you know, I really did a lot of thinking about how, you know, together they're making music as a whole that nobody could make alone, right? Bruce is a great singer, he's a great guitar player, but he couldn't do that alone. He needs the drums, he needs the singers, he needs this. And so one of the things I used to do at my school every year, and now I do with groups of leaders all over, is we use like a E street band music video is a case study for leadership. What do you notice about this team? What do you, what lessons can we take from them for teamwork? What do you see? Right. And we talk about how everybody sticks to their instrument and plays it well, right? They know their roles. They know their goals. We talk about how they communicate. You can see lots of eye contact and right, like really subtle communication as they perform. And then we also, and I always say, so who is the boss? That's like always the discussion question and it's a heated debate. The principal's the boss, the superintendent's the boss, you know, is the student the boss, is the teacher the boss? And, you know, what I always tell people is like, there is a stage in your life where you are the boss and you're making the calls and you're saying, we're doing this song, we're doing that, we're doing this, right? And that might be in your classroom if you're a teacher, it might be in your school if you're a principal, it might be at home if you're a parent, but there's something in your life That you are leading. And so, when you are in that situation where you're leading, how do you take these lessons and make sure that you're clear on what you own? You're clear on what you need to communicate to others. You're enjoying yourself as you do it, by the way, right? And you're committed to high quality excellence. So, I don't know. You know, I think that phrase, everyone's a leader, it can get real murky, it can get real tricky, but I do think everybody has some inner Bruce Springsteen, right? I think that's like a great part of ourselves. And You know, I used to have a paraprofessional who was amazing at running recess. She wasn't the boss of the school and I wouldn't necessarily have called her a leader in other ways, but she could get everyone lined up in the building, safe, ready. So It was a beautiful sight to see. And so like that was her stage, you be the boss there. But also please know when you go into a classroom with two co-teachers, you're not the boss. Like you're the supporting saxophonist, right? And you're looking to them for the cues. And so a lot of it is knowing in any given situation, who are we kind of taking some of the calls from who are we looking to for guidance? And, and you look like there clearly is a lot that went on behind the scenes. Bruce isn't a dictator, right? The band would have quit. They would, you know, whatever. So you're, you're, you're working with them in ways, but at the end of the day, someone has to make a call. And so how do you, how are you clear on who that is?
0: Oh, that's so good. That's so uh, good. I, I, I need to sit in one of those sessions with you because yeah, it, you're right. Everyone is a leader at some point, but the most ineffective leaders feel like their job is to lead everyone at all mm-hmm. times. So that's, mm-hmm. yeah, there's so much there that again, Another rabbit. So, when you you come down to Florida for part two, we're talking about that. How's that? I
1: I would mean, look, it is my favorite. I used to always joke my day getting ready for, and you know, truthfully, you know, we'd have a couple new teachers every year. We were growing school, and there were some years where I'd say, Do I have to do this? Everyone kind of gets the gist of it, but there were some PDs that I felt like every year kicking off with the new team was super helpful to do, and this was always one of them because people got new insights, they got new. He says, but I used to always joke that I would like go into my office and I'd be like, do not interrupt me. And I'd be on like YouTube looking for like the perfect clip for like seven hours. It was like, I usually am like very efficient and very goal driven, but I was like, this is my favorite PD to prep for the entire year because I just feel like I need the perfect video where the camera work shows all the nuance of the band.
0: <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. Seven hours in your office, listening to Bruce Springsteen to prep for that moment. Yeah, you do it. what you oh, got to do. One
1: them you... shows Susie, right. This one has Max close up. And yeah, I, I think in... in every time I go to a show, I think like, man, I am so glad I'm an educator, but I kind of wish that I was a roadie for the East Street <laughs> Band.
0: <laughs> oh, that's incredible. That's incredible. It, 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 I, again, I've never seen him, but uh, I, I feel like it's getting added to my bucket list here because. Uh, so I, would. I would, he's
1: learned. on tour now and he'll be okay. back in the, he's doing a swing in the fall. He actually started his floor, tour in Florida this year. He started in Tampa. So that was right. Okay. It it's a big okay. show. So he's doing a whole tour, but he is. And, and look, like, What's kind of amazing is, you know, I think that there's kind of Bruce Springsteen for every, I mean, he's 73 and he's doing this. And so I think it really does. Like, I always leave so inspired thinking about like, what's possible, how you can lead and this team that's worked together for like 50 years at this point, and they've got yeah. some ups and downs and ins and out. There's, a, there's a lot to really gain in there. Cause it's just, um, he, he does a lot of magic. So,
0: and, and whether it's born in the USA or glory days, he's he's got some of those iconic songs that, you know, you're going to hear at every single concert mm-hmm. and the concert's not done. Until you hear that song, right? Yeah. I, I'm wondering for for you, when when you share leadership perspectives, everybody comes with a different need. Everybody comes looking for a little bit different support. But there's got to be some foundational principles that you know your work is not done until you've had an opportunity to share this with them. Are, are there are there some embedded truths that Flow through, you know, if, if you were speaking to every leader on the planet and you had the opportunity to share something with them before you walked off of your E Street stage mm-hmm, and dropped mm-hmm. them mic, like, what what would you share with everybody and say this is the thing that all leaders need to understand and know?
1: Yeah. So I would say, you know, the thing that really comes to mind. Is that leaders need to know and understand that they are an incredibly valuable. It's incredibly valuable for them to invest time and resources in their development. And I find that often, you know, leaders are doing the budget. They're in charge of this. Ah, oh, I could buy new books. I could have a new lunch aid. I could do this, or I could do this program. And when I see leaders shortchange themselves on their development, it hamstrings their entire organization. Right. Whereas, like, if I were playing a game of dominoes and I had it all nicely laid out. And there was one domino that if I hit that domino could get every other one down, it would be the domino we'd hit, right? And that is the leader in a school. If I can get the leader invested, if I can get the leader right to um, understand these ideas or to think about how to lead change or to move to standards-based grading or whatever it is, or to be invested in that, then I can get everything else going here. But I think sometimes, especially when leaders are newer price tags can be scary right we're all like somewhat frugal as educators right everyone was like busy like using every you know side of their fold, you know file folders inside out when they were um coming up in the classroom but I do think that leaders are worth investing in and they need to know that and they need to own that because they have a tremendous impact on so many students and I think that there can be an element of servant leadership like oh not for me you're not this but it really only hurts kids in the long term because you are the single the person who can most impact your building
0: So true. So true that, that, that level of vulnerability, first of all, you have to understand your impact, understand the difference that you make, but you also have to have that vulnerability to say, and there's somebody else that can help support me in my journey that Mm -hmm. your willingness to sit down and say, Hey, I'm going to reach out to Beth and see if she can help grow me is not an Mm -hmm. indictment on on you. It's not a, a a signal saying that you are weak or not able to do the job. It's you providing a realistic preview of your future, right? It's saying, here's where I am right now. I know where I want to go. I'm not there yet. Otherwise I would be there. So let's see if somebody else can help support me and guide yeah.
1: me. Yeah, and, and this is what high performers do, right? Yeah. I mean, this is what everyone does. I think sometimes people think, like, well, I only get help. I'm doing okay enough. Well, okay enough isn't where I want any of my employees. Like I want people to be thriving and happy. And I think sometimes people are willing to move mountains to help their, you know, strong teacher or they're promising AP. And it's like, you have to treat yourself like you would treat a high performing employee, yeah. right? You have to invest yourself. You have to do that as well. And so I think it's like, you know, look, I, I, I you know, being from Chicago, right? The bulls of the nineties, man, there's another team you can learn a lot from, but like, Michael Jordan. Uh,
0: remember, they were nothing until they beat the Pistons. I'm just well, saying. Well, there were
1: some very rough years They we went up against the Pistons <laughs> and kept losing. It was very dispiriting, but finally broke through. Well, look, like Isaiah Thomas had a coach. Michael Jackson yeah. has a coach. Right, Michael Jordan has a coach. Michael Jackson probably had a coach too, yeah. right? I mean, people have coaches in, in different areas. And so I think that, you know, it is not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of strength, actually, because it's saying, I want to get to the next level. And often, we need ob- objective perspective, we need capacity of someone else, um, you know, we need the time. And, and also, you know, when you when you've only been in, you know, a handful of schools as any one of us can be in at any given time, you sometimes have a more limited perspective. So to bring in somebody who has worked with more leaders who has more perspective, this happens all the time, it can be really comforting as well. So yeah,
0: that's good. So for th- those people that are, are listening to this, or a couple of people that choose to watch this on YouTube, and they're lazy like me they don't necessarily go down and look at everything in the show notes and see all your links. Uh-huh. If they wanted to if they want to just listen and say, "Oh, I, I this lady sounds like she could be of support to me. She could help grow me." How can people find out more about you and how to connect with you?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So the first resource I would offer the listeners is if you go to leadership-quiz.com, you can take a quiz that will tell you what you most need in your leadership right now. So I think this is a really valuable resource. I'm a huge fan of self-knowledge. I think it kind of your reaction to the results helps tell you something. Um, and that'll help us start to keep in touch. I also have my website, Bethnapleton.com, and I'm on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Um, and I try and post resources as well there. And so I, you know, love to work consulting, coach sulting, coaching, doing, doing Bruce Springsteen PD, right? Is one of my favorites <laughs> for all the E Street Nation fans out there and those who aren't. I I make Bruce Springsteen fans as a side product, is a, a lower <laughs> objective, it's an objective of those. I am expanding A Street Nation, so.
0: (laughs) Oh, I love it, love it. Well, people, if you're listening to this right now, I would strongly encourage you to to get in touch with Beth. She will grow you. Just, Just like she's grown me in these last 40, 45 minutes here, Imagine what she can do with you with multiple sessions, multiple opportunities to get to know you, your individual needs, your individual strengths, your individual struggles. She can grow you. She can grow your school. She can grow your system. So so reach out to her, especially if you're in the Chicagoland area. But hey, sounds like she's willing to travel to Florida too. So regardless I of where travel,
1: you are. I do a lot of her Zoom. Zoom is yeah. my friend. So, so, so absolutely. There you go. So
0: reach out, connect, and uh, be inspired. Be realistic about where you are, where you're going to go and reach out to somebody else that can help you. Beth, thank you so much for being here and giving your time and your energy to this conversation today.
1: It was such a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me, Dave. Hey,
0: I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Lasting Learning Podcast. If you're interested in learning more, feel free to listen to additional episodes or to go check out schmidto.net at schmitto u.net i hope that you will engage in the conversations that matter most remember there are no taboo topics in education